How you doing? Good, good, good. Everybody glued the TV last night. Strictly, it's getting fever point, I'm sure. And then you have X Factor. So it's probably a great night's entertainment. How you doing? Good, good. I'll mention it. Wasn't Ireland fantastic? Eh? England won too, but yeah, sure. That's like England, it was like England playing the Swifts and Ireland playing Brazil. That's how it works in my mind. But anyway, bless you in the name of Jesus. Are we doing okay? Well, glad you're here. It's the most wonderful time of the Yeah. It, well, it's, it's once we get Remembrance Sunday over and then we're sort of slowly, slowly getting into Christmas. If you listen to the sound of music in shops anyway, they would push us that way. But anyway, all that to say, this is Outward Focus Sunday. If this is your first time or, and you're with us, you picked a good one. Or for some of you, this will be your first Outward Focus Christmas here at Vineyard Church in Gans. So I just to embarrass you, if this is your first Outward Focus Christmas here in Dungannon, would you wave to us? Yeah, one person. And so we are growing rapidly and, uh, over the last 12 months. So anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's get this thing, make this thing legal. Would you grab a Bible? Does anybody need a Bible? We're going to turn to the prophet Isaiah. And he is um, just a wonderful, wonderful prophet. He's probably my favorite because he talks about the coming of the kingdom all his references are, not all of his references, but a lot of his references are in time, and then some of his references are outside of time, as in future. So he's thinking, and through the Holy Spirit guiding him, he's speaking about Jesus Christ, Messiah, who's coming. Now, get this, he's speaking 700 years before Jesus comes. So if you want an apologetic book and you try to line this thing up to think, how would anybody ever know that? You just couldn't make it up. You could not make this book up. 700 years before Jesus comes, he accurately describes the coming of the Messiah right down to his death. And uh, you could say that Jesus read that book and lined his life up with that. You'd be crazy. You'd have to be crazy to conclude that that was the case. So, <clears throat> beautiful chapter in the scriptures. There's a beautiful picture here. A lot of, if you read the book of Isaiah, and, uh, I think it's very complicated, to be honest. Some of it is just like, Maybe for you smart people out there, it's just like, oh, it's a, it's a breeze. I get everything. But for me, I find some of it kind of confusing, the language in it and the prophetic essence of it. But this part, chapter 35, I find very easy, very clear. It's a descriptive picture of the kingdom of heaven, what heaven looks like here on earth. And it's also the picture of the coming Messiah, what he does, what he will do finally when he commences the kingdom of heaven, when he wraps it all up. So the language is figurative. There's a wilderness, there's barrenness. It's a metaphor for what's happening in the souls and the hearts of the people, not, more, not just physically in the land, but in the hearts and the souls of the people. Here's what he says. Are you with me? Isaiah 35. Got it. it. said, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom and it will rejoice greatly. And shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor 
of our God. Now here is God visiting a place. And what he does is he turns it into a flourishing place. But he just doesn't do that as his own. There's a part that we play. There's a part that humanity plays. God always partners with humanity. He chooses to do that. Sometimes I wish he would just be God and uh, come and burst the doors through my heart at times and just do whatever he needs to do. But he doesn't do that. He's kind. He's gracious. He doesn't, he doesn't overrun us. But he comes to us and he partners with us as all of Scripture will, will tell us. So you're ready for the next part? Here's your part. Here's your part in this messianic prophecy of what earth looks like because Jesus, the Messiah, has come. This is what we get to do. Say to those with fearful hearts, anybody got a fearful heart? Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. He will come to save you. That's our part in it. So what am I saying? The Bible makes it clear that, here's my big overarching theme. The Bible makes it clear that no one has a right to claim love for God that can't be measured, can't be measured in our love for others. It's clear. It's simple. Sometimes we like to say that, well, we can't really measure spirituality. It's not to be measured. Christianity can't be measured. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? There's always a lifestyle. There's always a result of being in love with Jesus. You can't be in love with Jesus and not be concerned about people. You can't be in love with Jesus. You can't be touched by the king and not have a heart for those who are lonely, those who are poor, those who are broken, those who are downhearted, those who are hopeless, those who are trembling at the knee and living in fear. You can't have love for God and yet not engage with humanity. So it can be measured. I hear a lot of people, especially in our beautiful country, say, my faith is private. I'm sorry, but it's not. Your faith is personal, but it's not private. There's an outworking of our faith here on earth. It doesn't mean that you have to be charismatic. It doesn't mean that you have to go around with a signpost and shout and have a different personality. That's, that's not what it means. I think there's a, there's a disconnect when we talk about private faith and having a different personality. You don't have to be uh, an, an out-and-out uh, extrovert. You can be an introvert and still have a faith that leads others to Jesus. And I hear it all the time at funerals. Sorry, <laughs> use this one. But we hear it often that they had a private faith. No, they didn't. Their faith actually touched the hearts of many people. That's why people show up at their funeral. And actually their faith was livable. Their faith was measurable. Their faith was genuine and could be seen. So, here at Vineyard Church Dungannon, I'm convinced Convinced that God has intended us to tell someone, to tell people, to tell communities. And get this, I never thought it would happen that we would actually tell nations that God has come. That God would come. Do you believe that? This ragtag bunch of people, all of us here, sitting in black seats this morning, all from different social, economic, political backgrounds and races, all of us who have been touched by the mercy of Jesus Christ, have fallen forward into his mercy, have been called to tell someone, to tell people, and to tell nations that God has come and God is here. And that is the message that we want to do and bring as a community of faith. We are the family of God, ushering in the kingdom, rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it's a wonderful thing. Well, let me say it this way. We are called to make beautiful through gospel grace. We are called to make beautiful through gospel grace. Everything. Make what? Everything through gospel grace. Gospel grace is more than 
given your yes to Jesus at a certain age, at a certain time, in a certain place. The gospel of Jesus Christ is vibrant and living and real and is transforming hearts and minds as we speak this morning. And our job is to make beautiful through gospel grace. Do you want to see a touch of what it looks like? I'm talking to you people out there. There's nobody else that I have direct contact with right now. I do not speak to John Wimber on another level or anything like that there. I'm actually physically talking to you. Would you like to see a touch of what gospel grace looks like in our community? Okay, then here you go. Here at Vineyard Church Dungannon, we're absolutely passionate about seeing a better Dungannon. And uh, as a local church, we believe that because of our presence in the town, that the community should be made brighter and should be made better. And that underpins everything that we do as a local church. And none less than Outward Focus Christmas, where we want to be a community that reaches out to those who are in need and those who are on the fringe of our society, who maybe are forgotten at Christmas time. So we want to bring not just hope, but we want to put it into action and join with you, the local community, in making Dungannon a better place and hopefully a brighter day for people that are in need. I first heard about Outward Focus Christmas a number of years ago when Michelle told me about it and I was amazed at the effort put into it, felt that it was a really worthwhile project and certainly to the greater good of Dungannon that it would benefit those in need um, and those maybe on the verge of poverty. So I was more than happy to be associated with Outward Focus Christmas. Well, I'm delighted that uh, mid Ulster District Council is involved with the Vineyard Church and their Outward Focus Christmas uh, appeal this year. Very worthy cause and uh, since coming into office um, as chairperson of the council, um, I've learned um, of the good work that has been done by the uh, Vineyard Church and uh, I think coming up to Christmas particularly it's a time for the community to contribute to those that are less uh, well off and the church, the Vineyard Church provides a great mechanism for doing so, so a very worthy cause indeed. Um, here at STEP, Center on Empowerment Program, we work with the migrant families uh, that come from different parts of the world here, mostly to work in Northern Ireland. We are trying all year to help those families, also with the support from the Vineyard Church, but around the Christmas when it's the time when you want to give that just a little bit extra support when the children are out of school and maybe everything is more expensive in the shops and the families are really facing even harder challenge. We're an island really, as I said, the people have that really, you know, will to give and to help and you know and they would do that all the time not just before christmas but i mean all the time with anything as i said lifts anything you can go to the shop you need anything you, you know just that really kindness really great kindness outward focus christmas so engagement with that um and that involves uh you know getting hampers together and delivering them to people who are maybe don't have anybody um, or on their own, whether that's through their age or other vulnerabilities, other issues, and it's about bringing, kind of bringing that message and, and, and showing that we want to look out for people as well. And it's been very successful, and we look forward to working again with uh, with other with other agencies with that. It's, uh, it's it's proved fairly successful for us. Having having worked with the Vineyard Church 
that uh, in times of uh, financial uncertainty that this service is able to bring a kind of bit of happiness or a bit of light into somebody's life that uh, may not have it. Um, is, is uh, that work is imperative, and it's we're only too willing to engage with, with, where we can to try and resolve that. This shop, we we've, we're definitely in the promotion of cross community. If nothing else, there's uh, there's no Irish races, religions, races, anything in here. It's just whatever we can do to cross divides and if working with a church and helping the needies. It's exactly what we're trying to do. We would like to get involved with Outward Focus Christmas because there's people out there who just need help. Most people when you're talking to them, they want to help, they don't know how to help, and use usually the nearest hand, the nearest reach that we can get to to physically help people in our local community. So yeah, we'd like to just help. Simple. Jesus mission don't we Jesus came to seek and save the lost but he had a weapon that was probably so oblivious to many his, his weapon was that he came armed with the most maybe silliest of things unassuming but yet it was so powerful he came with the table a table he came to seek and save the lost that was his mission, and the, the, the method was, if you read scripture at all, there's only two times that it says that Jesus came to do something, and then it says, well, he came to heal the sick, he came to do it. But there's only two times where it gives you the, mess, the, the message, the mission, and the method. And the message and the method is this, he came to seek and save the lost, and he came eating and drinking. He came eating and drinking. It's such a powerful, powerful, unassuming weapon that destroys the enemy when we invite people to the table. And... Um, this library, actually this is not a book, I don't know if you've ever discovered that, but this is, this is a library, there's 66 books in ancient scripture, it has a lot to say about food, but one of the reoccurring themes, the idea around food is God's concern for the hungry and for the poor. You can't get away from it, from, from the outskirts of it, from the book of Genesis. Once we get through into Genesis and then he forms his people right into Leviticus, he starts to talk constantly about food and particularly to the poor and to the needy. So in God's economy, those who have abundance, this is what he's saying throughout the ancient scriptures, throughout the library of scriptures, he says, those who have abundance need to sacrifice. Those who have much, they give away their excess, even to give up their own comfort for the sake of those who have little. How do you feel about that? I don't like it. Because I always have need, I always have something else. Scriptures from the beginning right through to the New Testament. The scriptures repeatedly ch challenge us to be generous people. To be generous people throughout scripture. Generosity is the outward appearance of somebody who's been captured by grace. Someone whose heart has been captured through grace. You'll, you'll remember that as you read scripture. Do you remember the lady in the book of Mark? She had little, and, and she gave of her little. I always think of it as the, some corporate organization, and they're given, they've come with, you know, the big massive check 
that you can never use for the photograph. They're like the front of the, the temple with, hey, here's what we do. Here's what we've done. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. See that lady? Do you know, here's what I found too. This makes me a little uncomfortable. Throughout scripture, the Bible's actually quite comfortable in comparing. You read, the, you read Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church is clearing up a load of mess, a load of religious uh, arguments, and um, dare forbid that religious stuff would ever creep up in churches and people would divide over it. But sometimes it happens. It happened way back then. And then in the second letter to the Corinthian church, he, he goes after them and he says, guys, remember we decided to do something? We decided to set aside our money, a bit of our money, and that we would give it to those in Jerusalem. Do you remember we talked about that? And then one of the churches in Corinth says, yeah, but we don't like it anymore. And then Paul talks to the church in Corinth, and he doesn't come and say, hey, guys, this is what you said. He talks to them, and he starts a comparison conversation. He says, did you hear about the guys in Macedonia? Let me make it a bit modern for you. It's a bit like Michelle Scott. She's decided to put some money away to give, start tithing. And then she says, no, I don't like to do that anymore. There's just, there's like new boots coming out. And what else do you go mad buying? <laughs> Going out for coffee and another spatula and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and so she, so, so the conversation would go, if I was Paul, I would say, hey, Michelle, there's a lady in India. She has very little. She has nothing. She wants to give. But I've said no because you don't have a lot, so please don't give. And then she insists on giving, and I said, please, this is embarrassing. She's ran out of her home. She's went and got a packet of biscuits. It would be half a day's wages to her so that some white people who have traveled thousands and thousands of miles who have just come into their shack would get a cup of tea and a biscuit. Couldn't make it up. But I keep saying there, Michelle, I keep saying there, please, no, 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 you don't have to. I, look, we're not allowing you. And she turned around to me, Michelle, and she said this to me, how dare you? How dare you stop me from being generous and blessing those who have walked through my door and commit to generosity? That's a bit like what Paul was trying to do with the Corinthian church. And so the Bible is no, no way of, I find it, I just think, wow, that's like kind of awkward, Paul. You're talking to the people who said they were going to give, and you're saying to them, you're comparing them to somebody else. But right through Scripture, Jesus does the same with the lady in the temple that gave her little, and he says, Do you want to, now guys, you guys with a big check, that's given. You want to see given? Didn't he? Did he not point her out? Did he not say, That lady who had little gave, and you have much? Wow. And then do you remember the lady who was uninvited to a private party? rudely burst through the door. I don't know if she burst through the door. Scripture doesn't say that. In my head, the story goes that way. Many biblical theologians would say that the lady was a prostitute. She gets this bottle of perfume. And by the way, when it says an expensive bottle of perfume, it's don't compare it to Christian Dior or to Chanel or Coco or Hugo Boss or anything else. I mean, when they say this is expensive, they're talking expensive. Weeks of wages not a bottle of perfume that we pick up in a local store because we fancy a new fragrance. And Jesus is saying, you guys were meant to host a table and you've done nothing, nothing. But this lady, do you see it again? He says, this lady, let's, we're going to note this one. 
we're going to note this and generation after generation will read of this woman's kindness and what she has done for me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Good, good. Don't worry, I'm not going to compare anybody. I'm not going to compare people on the left to the right or anything. We know how much you give and we know how much... So relax, relax. Let go of your wallet. It's okay. It's all okay. And it's a struggle because... What the Corinth church is doing and what I do and what you do and what we, most of us do is that we, we make excuses. We make excuses before, before God and, and his grace has captured our heart. His grace has captured our heart. And isn't it funny that Jesus says where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And he's talking about money again. If his grace captures our heart, then he's looking for our whole life. Our whole life. If we surrender our yes, we have to give him the whole of our lives. We've got to be touched by him in such a way that he's so compelling that he drives us to generosity. And the mark of grace in our life is one that is evident through our generosity. Would you agree with that? Thank you. And I know we make excuses. And here's the excuse most of us make. And I've made, if I had a little bit more money, I would be a little bit more generous. If I had a little bit more than... Jason, I would be generous. You don't understand, Jason, the car's playing up and it's that time of year again, we've got to put oil in the tank and the oil's going to go up next week because the well will drop and the temperatures go down and the prices go up and that's how it works and the car needs service and this and that and Christmas is just around the corner and sure, doesn't the Bible tell us to look after your family first? No, I don't know. Show me it. We all make excuses. We make excuses with their generosity. If I had a little bit more, I'd be generous. Listen, here's the problem. We never have enough money to be generous. We really don't. We never have enough money to be generous ever. We will always spend the money we have. At least I do. You'll always spend the money you have. But here's the thing, you have to choose. You have to choose with whatever you have to learn to be generous and how. How to do it. Because whatever we have, we'll always spend it. We always spend it. I do. Whatever I have. I used to say, oh, if I had more money, then I would give to India. If I had more money, I would give to this. If I had more money than that. And then on one day, way, way back in Tobermore, about 1999, <laughs> I had to make a decision that I would choose with what I had to be generous with what I had and how I would be generous. And it's important that you get this. You see, it's getting the heart. It's getting the heart. Jesus is after your heart. It's, it's funny again, guys. I know it makes you uncomfortable, this word funny. And it's like none of you ever think about it. And it's a dirty word. And you, you like to keep it out of your mind, don't you? You just don't like to go there at all. You never think about it. You never think about your stuff. You never think about your money. But isn't it funny that of all the, the examples that Jesus made, when it came to forgiveness, he used money? Wow. When it came to living our lives with the gifts that he's given, he used money. You think I'm making this up, don't you? The talents, the gifts, the forgiveness thing. He talks about money. You think I'm making the forgiveness thing up, don't you? You remember he said, he told the story about the, the rich guy who owed a load of debt. It's starting to come back now. And he said, oh, the master came and says, oh, you know what, just pay me off a little bit. And then he found somebody that owed him a little, little debt, and he says, you wicked and wretched servant. Do you remember that story? 
It was about the heart and forgiveness, how we treat people, and it was money. Are you with me? Just in case you think I'm making any of this up, I want to try and keep it biblical. You've got to learn to be generous, and you've got to see how you can be generous. Because according to Scripture, it's an issue of receiving and responding. It's an issue always of receiving and responding. So why did the, 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 the lady, the elderly lady, give all that she had? Why did the woman in, in India come and rush out without us knowing and go and buy biscuits that were soft and out of date, but yet cost her an absolute fortune? Why did they walk for miles and miles and miles and give us a bag of rice because that's all they had? Because I'll tell you one thing, they had been touched by the presence of King Jesus, and they found out that when Jesus touches your life, the only thing that you can do is respond with generosity. It's filthy. And as ugly as materialism sounds, it's a weapon of warfare that drives back the enemy from the door. God has a concern about it. Let's do a word search. You ready for that? I'll help you. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. I've actually put the words up for you this week because there's been complaints in the ranks that we don't put the words up. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. How do you see the way we would think with our natural mind? Oh, there's more, let's get more, let's gather more. There's always going to be harder days outside. But this is what God's telling the people of Israel on the move, on the journey. He says to them, do not go over the second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God, just in case you need to know that. Then the wisdom books. We had the Pentateuch. Now we have the wisdom books, Proverbs. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. God has a concern. There is a correct, there is a, a, a link that is just, you can't get away from it. There's a link between God and food and looking after the poor. Isaiah 58. Are you familiar with Isaiah 58. Yeah? Last night, 10 years ago, we had our opening night here in the storehouse for Leaving a Legacy. And the first that, that encompassed that was Isaiah 58. For those of you who don't know, we had this space and it was desperate. And uh, we asked a bunch of people here who had a heart and, and mind to, to see change in this community, that we would leave a legacy here in Dungan. I think a church was around 80 people and couldn't kids at the time. And people out of their generosity over three years, we raised 180,000 pounds. What about that? Here, 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 before you clap, before you clap. Can we change the PowerPoint, the target for OFC this year? <laughs> and so, I was just, I just, thank Jesus for Facebook, eh? Facebook memories. It came up just working over a talk and up pops Facebook because I get a little distracted. I need different things to keep me going. And uh, so that came up. And 10 years ago, Isaiah 58 was the theme that God had given us. Isaiah 58, the major problem is that there's religion without reality. So Isaiah the prophet, he's, he wants to engage with that. And so he says that he's accusing the people of, of just pretense. He's saying you're going through the motions of religion, but it's all pretense. It's all pretense. It's, it's all surface. It's all appearance. Isaiah 58 says this, Is it not the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter? I don't particularly like the last part, 
text, Ellery, because it actually means, in the original language, it actually means that you welcome the foreigner and the stranger into your own house. Oh, no. Please not me, Jesus. There's plenty of other people out there with an extra bedroom that can do it just well, and I've got their number. That's what we'll do. We'll phone them, Michelle. Again, there's this doing justice is one of the dimensions of hospitality. Do you get it? Doing justice is a dimension of hospitality. So outward-focused Christmas, because I've got to go way fast. Outward-focused Christmas helps people who can't help themselves sit at a table to eat and drink. Do you remember we did the, the series on eating and drinking? Hospitality, do you remember that? Good. One of the marks of a follower of Jesus Christ is that you not just open your heart, but you open your home. Your home is not your castle, it's not your refuge, it's actually a place to, to usher in the kingdom of heaven, to make the kingdom of heaven a reality here on earth. And one of the ways that we do that is we open our homes, and some of you have done that beautifully. Beautifully. So, so our outward focus is us as a church helping others set a table to eat and drink. Is that not powerful? That you and I have choice that we can choose with what we have, to use what we have, to, to consider how we would use it to be generous for others so that others can set a table to eat and to drink. And we know the worth in that. We know the benefit in that as a community, as a family. Take it outside of the scriptures even. There's benefit for society when families eat and drink together at a table. So we weekly set a table. We weekly invite people to come here through reach. This is what OFC does. OFC just does not hand a hamper out to somebody and say, Happy Christmas, Jesus loves you. We're the vineyard. No, not on my watch. What Outward Focus Christmas does is invites the lonely, the broken, the disregarded, and the outcast to come here on a weekly basis so that they can have groceries to put on their table so that they can sit and eat and drink. That is a beautiful deeply spiritual thing and I love it so that they gather around the table this Thursday Thursday passed get this 58 people got food 58 people were able to sit around a table and eat because of your generosity at Outward Focus Christmas get this I'd have never imagined it I sort of had a laugh to myself I was sitting at the door standing at the door talking to Ali and seven refugees walked out past me from Syria <laughs> that was funny who would have thought? Who would have thought? I thought, this is, just, this is just crazy. It was just one of those moments like, is this for real? And there's a beautiful lady, and she's wearing the, her customary dress. She's dressed from head to toe in black. Her face is unveiled, so you can see the expression of gratitude in her face and her eyes. And they leave the door. They left smiling and receiving food. But more than that, more than that, listen... They received a welcome to a new land and a new home. Who else gets to do that? You can use your stuff and your money. I have none. I never have. It's a disaster when you're paying for petrol. But we can use our stuff. And we can welcome people. You see, that's what it means when... I'm going to take up far too much time this morning, but... What we were doing on Thursday, we were breaking down injustice of war and racism and violence with food. Ah, come on. Allow yourself to go there just for a moment. Allow religion to be diminished in your life. And worldly wisdom, it says, store for yourself. 
to rejoice in those who have found a home. Found a home. Okay. Introduction's over. Luke 14, 15 to 24. I'm going to read a parable, and I'm going to tell you about four things that we're doing, and then we're going to worship together. Okay, so here is a fantastic piece of scripture. Luke 14, 15 to 24. Uh, Luke 14, 15 to 24. Please turn there in your tablet, your phone, and your paper, whatever you need to use this morning. I'm going to read it. I'm going to jump in for a second time. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. He didn't even understand what the kingdom of God. He was thinking Israel, right? He's thinking Israel. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First said, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And the other said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, and all the men could agree with this, I just got married so I can't come out. <laughs> Not so in our relationship. The servant came back to him and reported it to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. Still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Not one of those who were invited originally will get a taste of my banquet. Now, brilliant story. But here's the thing. This is another awkward Jesus moment. Now, don't throw stones at me, and this may be a tin hat time, but I do think Jesus could do with a PR machine in his time and day. Because some of the stuff he says is deeply embarrassing and awkward, wasn't it? Like Jesus would say to people, let the dead bury their own dead. It's like, Jesus. You know? So, get the picture. Do you know where he's at? He's reclining. He's at a table, eating and drinking again. The son of man came eating and drinking. Any wonder they said this man's a glutton and a drunkard. Because he's either going for food, coming for food, or having food. You read that in the book of Luke, right? You read that in all four Gospels, but the book of Luke is just like... And so he's eating at a rich... Pharisee's house, a guy who is a religious leader. And Jesus is eating at his table. He's reclining at his table. And then Jesus says, hey, do you want to hear a story? And he has a go at the man. He's comparing again because this guy who's a religious Pharisee, the Pharisees in that time, they believed that in the temple, they believed in the temple. You can go back to Leviticus chapter 21. There's a group of Pharisees who actually believed that this would happen in, in when the Messiah came in the New Testament. That they believed that the, they believed this this is how they saw it. Now that the crippled, the blind, the poor, or the lame would or should be and would be allowed into the temple. And even when the Messiah would come, the Essenes, I think, the Essenes they called them, Pharisees, they would, they would also, they would, out of Leviticus 21, they would say the same thing. When Jesus returns, or they didn't see it being Jesus, when the Messiah returns, guess what? At this kingdom banquet that this man talks about, the crippled, the blind, the poor, and the lame, they don't get any other. So what is Jesus actually saying? Well, let me give you a quick background. In the first century, 
the host would send out two invitations. The first one was just to say, hey, we're having a party. Let's do it. And so they would get an invite back. They'd get their, the RSVP back. And the RSVP would just let them know how much food they needed to have in the house. Cool? Simple? Makes sense. Right? Big banquets, big party. We're throwing a party. Are you coming? We need to get stuff out. The second invitation that went out was say, hey, we're ready. Doors are open. Are you coming? So it's not strange that there's two invitations in the story. So the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, again, the religious day, age of Jesus, you're not getting in. And Jesus is using the table here. You've got to get this. Eating and drinking to do justice. To do justice. Food is a justice issue. Food is a justice issue. This is so important, guys, that we get this. Jesus intends for his apprentices, followers of Jesus Christ, apprentices, disciples, to live simply so others can live. To understand that what we have is a gift and treat it so and hold it lightly and share it. To do justice with our resources, and that includes our food. Every follower of Jesus, you need to hear this. There's no opt-out in this. Every follower of Jesus Christ is to care for the poor. It's to care for the poor. Now, this is not a judgment on anybody that's sitting here in the black seat today because I think we do it well, but I do think we could do it better according to our giving. I think we could do it better. I think we're slowly becoming a generous church, but can I say that we're an outrageously generous church? No, I can't. I can't because... Because so many who have so little are given, and yet so many of us who have much are not given. And that's the reality in any culture in the West. So we need to change our thinking to understand that there's never a right time to be generous, that we will never have enough. And the choice is that what we do with what we have is to be generous, and we understand how to do it. Because the scripture teaches us so how can we do justice with food? Do we all set up food banks? No. But we can launch a wave of generosity that we call Outward Focus Christmas. And how we can do that is all around this conversation and this idea of justice with food. Justice with food. Here's four things that I want us to do and get our, our hearts and minds around as we enter into this season of um, entering into a season of outrageous generosity. And I do pray that we would become an outrageous, generous church. The first one is fast. I know Christmas is celebrating and eating, but I just thought I would throw it on its head and make it truly an outward focused Christmas and call the church to a fast. So that we would wrap our hearts and minds again around the center of the scripture that holds this church to its core, Isaiah 58. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light, so I'm just a little bit selfish with this, there's a reason for it, that our light would shine, would rise in the darkness, and your night would become like the noonday. Do you want to see that for Dungannon? Do you want Dungannon to flourish, the towns where you live in? Do you want it to flourish and have an impact? Of course you do, of course you do. You'd be crazy if you thought otherwise. But anyway, we want to see oppressed people free. We want to see the light rise in the darkness and we want to see the night become like the noonday. How good is that? So what Isaiah is doing here, he's saying there's a way to use your food, there's a way to fast. So instead of fasting for religious reasons to say, hey, look at me, 
He's actually saying, when you're doing that, connect yourself to the poor and the suffering. So you, phys- you actually physically do that. And so on December the 2nd of December, which is a Sunday, instead of going shopping to all the malls and, oh, it sounds so American, doesn't it? To all the places that are outside of the town center. You know, those big places where you can't get the car parking space unless, if you were listening to my talk last week, you have the patron state of car parking spaces in your car, then you're good to go. But other than that there, all that to say this is instead of doing that, why don't you take a day? This is truly outward, outward focused Christmas. And not eat. Not eat. For one day. At Christmas time. December. Yeah, lights are on. And everybody's at home. In fact, lights are on, nobody's at home. There's nobody in but the fire and it's out, right? We're all shopping crazy. So instead of going shopping and doing all that stuff, the retailers will hate this. We're going to fast as a church, and then on the 2nd of December at 7 p.m., we're going to come here and we'll gather around this space and adore Jesus and allow him to capture our hearts. Are you up for that? Of course you are. You love this sort of stuff. So I think, you know, the vineyard's at its best when the challenge is big. <laughs> I, I'm serious. We are at our best when the challenge is big. People love big vision, don't they? And it's a big gospel. It's a big, outrageous, hairy, audacious gospel. Number two, four points. Why don't some of you who have a little time during your week come to reach on a Thursday? Uh, I've done it now as, um, I really feel like Mother Teresa. I don't know how to say this. I've done it since May. And uh, maybe I'll be canonized in the vineyard, hoping to make it to regional leader someday. And if all things work out, national directors <laughs> of in your churches, Tyrone. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, it's done my heart the world of good. You know, you, you, you sometimes you just got to see it and touch it to see how it works. So if you, not everybody can do it, but if you can, then we are open every Thursday. Bring your gift, bring your conversation, bring your thinking, bring your love, bring your compassion. Just make coffee, show up, open a door, sweep a floor, put out a cardboard box, whatever it does, pray for somebody. And let's see the kingdom of God manifest here on earth so their light shines. Okay, is that okay? Third thing I'm really excited about, because it's taken in the text in chapter in Luke um, that we would throw a party this year. We would throw a party that we would invite our each guest to eat a meal and pick up their hamper on Thursday the 20th. And you're saying, what's that got to do with me? Well, number one, we need your money and we need loads of it. And uh, the other thing is that, why didn't you? I, I, know, this is, I know this is really outrageous again, but this is outward focused Christmas. So I'm going outward, okay? I'm turning Christmas upside down. I'll not dance or do anything. Good. But here's the thing. I know for a fact because I've done it. Some of you out there, relax, relax. Get a day off for shopping at Christmas. You do not? Okay, well, go and tell your boss. <laughs> Some places do. Tesco's do. Other supermarkets are available and probably do the same thing. But what if... What if you actually... Okay, then, maybe you don't actually physically get it, but does some of you keep a wee sneaky day for Christmas shopping? Huh? No? Am I speaking, am I, am I, 
if I just got my preaching to the choir, you guys are just all in. Okay, well, let me say this here. If you're available, if you can take some time off work, on the 20th, Thursday at 20th, from 10 a.m. to about 1 p.m., we're throwing a party. We're going to provide a great lunch, as best as we can do it, lots of food, lots of laughter, lots of generosity, and lots of compassion, so that our guests who come all year long can come along on that one day, pick up their hamper as they've come all, all year long, but on this day, we sit down at a table, we eat together as a community of faith, and we give them food, and we break the chains of injustice. <laughs> Now, don't whoop me, don't whoop me, don't whoop me without your calendar out. Then whoop me. Not as in W-H-I-P, but W-H-O-O-P. That type of whoop, okay? Which is so cheesy, and I hate it. But anyway, if you're up for that, get your calendar out. There you go, 20th, 10 to 1. Tell your boss you're not feeling well. No, don't do that there. That was just, ooh, that was just a wee joke, just to see where your integrity levels were. My last point is Stephen in the room. Where is he? The guy that played the keys? Oh, he's here. Fix your hair, get yourself ready, we'll go to worship. Okay. Here's the last point. You'll love this part. On the 9th of December, we're going to give. Yeah. Joyfully. Wholeheartedly. And all we're going to do is just give up some luxuries at Christmas to see that we can set a table for others. That's all we're going to do. Here, here's my heart in this, guys. I'm not trying to pour water over your Christmas. Nobody loves it more than me. I love Christmas. I'll tell you what else I love. I love gifts. So if you're thinking of buying a gift, like a, 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 a nice gift for a family in need, then also consider buying me a gift at the same time, because I do love them. So I'm not going to be hypocritical. I love receiving stuff. In fact, Paul tells... Timothy, he says that riches are there to be enjoyed, but he says, use your, your stuff and your money and your generosity. Those who are rich, use it. Use it so that you can demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that you can, he actually then goes on to say, so that you can have a life that is truly life. Wow, how good is that? So, our target, drum roll please. Can you do a drum roll on a keyboard? <laughs> Knees will do. Uh. <laughs> the target is 26 grand. As they say in our house, easy peasy. It's doable, guys. It's doable right across. We have 200 people connecting with us. Here's what I want to say. In all grace and all wisdom, as your pastor, please do not leave it to somebody else to hit the big figures. It's not about equal giving, but it is about equal sacrifice. And just consider, consider that this, and know this, you don't have enough to be generous, as in your thinking. You never do. You will always spend what you have. But let's use what we have to be generous and thinking how we're going to do that. So this is what I'm asking. Don't decide today to write, write a check or give. Pray over it, seriously. Allow it to become a way of getting your, even, even posture your heart to start giving. To start giving. Trust God. He's a big God. We sang about it today. You know, all of our lives are in his hands. Then that has to include your, your living. You're getting fed and your clothes and your stuff and your houses and your cars. You've got to trust him with that too. Yeah? Like he trusts us with the kingdom. The kingdom. 
the most beautiful thing in the world. He trusts us with the kingdom. Surely money is small in comparison to the kingdom of heaven that he trusts us with. Will we stand?